This week on Geek Explained, something a little different. Welcome to 2022. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and wait a second. What's going on here? This isn't a full-on episode of the Geek Explain podcast. Well, dear listener, you would be right. Uh, January has started off a little strange in uh, in the Azana household, so we are doing something a little different. Uh, new episodes, episode 192, will be kicking off in February. We've had some uh, some stuff going on. I don't want to get too far into it, but um, January's been kind of shaking things up for me personally. So to uh, kind of lighten the load on that, the podcast is going to kick off in full force in February with episode 192 going forward. But I don't want to leave you hanging for the month of January. And even though we do still have the Geek Explained Book Club, which is dropping every single Friday, uh, Ultimate Spider-Man has officially started, um, and I'm already getting complaints. <laughs> I'm already getting called out uh, for the for my personal opinions on the Geek Explained Book Club. So if you want to go listen to those opinions, feel free to go check that out. We have uh, session two of the Ultimate Spider-Man read-through uh, two days from now as of when you are listening to this. And for the regular episode, every single Wednesday, I'm going to be dropping a new Geek Explained Extra, having conversations with returning guests and getting educated. I like to say that this podcast is made by a geek for geeks, but when it comes to this series, these three episodes in January, I'm going to be doing the learning here. So to kick things off, we are going to be checking out a topic that I would say if you're a fan of Marvel Comics, or really just comics in general, you have already heard about, and that is Miracle Man. And I am being joined by Owen from the Owen Likes Comics YouTube channel who is returning to the podcast to teach me a thing or two about Miracle Man. So without further ado, let's dive into this Geek Explained Extra as Owen likes comics, Geek Explains Miracle Man. Ladies and gentlemen, let me take you back to 1953. 1953 was an incredible time in the American comics industry. Fawcett Comics was leading the way, leading the industry in comic book sales with their hit character, Captain Marvel. A somewhat closely adapted version of Superman from DC Comics, who at the time was National Comics, I believe. Um, unfortunately, in 1953, Fawcett Comics closed its doors. And that meant that another company from across the pond, uh, Len Miller and Son, were 
unfortunately unable to continue reprinting Captain Marvel comics, which forced them to get a little creative. And in this moment, they decided to create the character Marvel Man. They turned to comic legend Mick Anglo, who is legendary basically for creating Marvel Man. And though this character did see some, some success being based on the Captain Marvel character, ultimately the character fell into obscurity until a little-known comic book writer, you might have heard of him, Alan Moore, decided to take the character now dubbed Miracle Man and turn him into one of the greatest comic books in history. And now with his return in Marvel Comics Timeless number one, we are going to dive in to just who is Miracle Man. And with that, talking about Miracle Man, talking about possibly one of the greatest British creations in history, I figured we would bring on somewhat of an expert. And wait, do you hear that? Wait a second. Is that whose music I think it is? It is! By God, that's Owen from the Owen Likes Comics YouTube channel's music. Owen, by God. Owen is here in the Geeksplained Impact Zone. Owen, how are you, man? I was about to say, are you surprised me and Brian Danielson's on the podcast? <laughs> that would have been awesome. Um, I'm happy. I'm happy to to borrow his entrance music. Um, well, you are. I, see, see, I thought you were going to go and say like, I thought you were going to go down the the segue of talking about one of the great British um, comic book characters. Well, that's here implied. Is, that's that's the, we don't need to say that. It's understood. Comic tube. <laughs> it's um, understood sorry, that. Sorry, panels to are... pixels. <laughs> we love Josh. Josh is incredible, but we, we we do. But Owen, I am very excited to have you back on the show. Uh, it's always great talking to you, man. And I'm excited to talk about some Miracle Man because, yeah, as that... I understand, you are a uh, you're a Miracle Man fan. I'm a Miracle fan. Oh, nice. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I feel like as soon as uh, Timeless became a thing, um, everyone's kind of turned towards the British comic historian <laughs> on YouTube and's like, tell us about this character, please. Um, which I'm, I'm happy to do. Um, I've become, uh, I've been a big fan of Alan Moore's Miracle Man series for years now. And uh, especially like this year, in 2022, a big fascination of mine has been learning more about British comic book history. Mm. Um, it's the one and only time I will ever appear in any way patriotic. Um, <laughs> but, a man of the people is Owen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited to dive into this. Like I said, I, I've been researching a lot about the history of Marvel Man slash Miracle Man, um, working on some projects on my own and then for, for this as well. And I'm really looking forward to diving deep into it with you. Me too, man. And immediately when I saw the final page of Timeless, like many people, I'm sure, when they saw the logo of Miracle Man, they immediately thought, I need to talk to Owen about this. The entire world over knew that you had to be the person that we <laughs> needed to talk to, because as you've said, you are a comic historian, one of the 
premier, I would say, if not the premier comics historians in our online comic reading space. And you said you're a fan of Alan Moore's Miracle Man, and I know that you're a fan of Alan Moore as just a writer. A lot of his his work is some of the most influential, I would say, in comics history. And I think Miracle Man is definitely one of those um one of those works. Now, I will be uh, the first to admit, dear listener, that I am not a Miracle Man expert. Uh, I know tangentially of the character. I've read a little bit here and there. And that's why I'm really excited to talk to Owen about this, because this is one of the... the, the this is to steal a... Uh, to steal a... What is it? A line from my boy Superman. This is a rare opportunity that I get to cut loose and learn instead of teach on the podcast. I'm very excited to learn more about uh, Miracle Man. So, um, Owen, let's just let's just freaking get into it, man. Yeah. Where should we begin? That's that's the question. There's so much of like a complicated history to this character. I don't know if you want me to kind of go from the top. Well, and I th- I think the the beginning is definitely a a place to start because as you know I started off with the um, with the intro like this was kind of a slapdash decision by L Miller and Son right because there were yeah so to kind of set the scene from a little bit obviously like you discussed the the national faucet lawsuit where basically. Uh, the two companies were in litigation for like a good 10, 15 years. And basically the end result was Fawcett because of the the expense it was to be in a lawsuit with DC Comics, couldn't afford to publish Captain Marvel Adventures anymore. And um, in 1953, the company ended up ceasing publication of all of Captain Marvel's comics. Now, while in like the early 50s, superhero comics in America had started to die off in popularity, Obviously, like there's the big kind of Second World War era boom in American um, superhero comics in America. But then obviously in the early 1950s, superhero comics kind of become less popular because they're so associated with the war era. So you see the rise in like horror and romance and Western comics and like a big resurgence in pulp noir. Then obviously you have Frederick Wortham's Seduction of the Innocent kind of curbs a lot of that. And then you don't really see like a massive like gaining of momentum in superhero comics in the states until like the late late 50s when you have like barry allen hal jordan all show up and you get like the justice league in 1960 and then you get the big marvel resurgence around that time as well so this is like in american history kind of a bit of a down period for superhero comics however across the pond in jolly old england it was kind of the opposite superhero comics in the early 50s really began to take off in the uk um and it was a lot of kind of original characters, but one of the things that was going on was there was an, an import ban on non-essential goods placed by the British government between Britain and America. This was something set up around the time of the Second World War. And it basically meant that America couldn't export goods that weren't deemed essentials, so like food and then, I don't know, military equipment, all that kind of stuff, to the UK. So it meant like stuff like comics, while in the late 30s and 40s into the early 50s you know national were putting out batman superman wonder woman the jsa all that kind of stuff these uh fawcett were putting out captain marvel timely slash marvel were putting out you know the invaders captain america namor all that stuff those companies couldn't ship them to the uk so basically what they would do is they would partner with 
a comic book company in the United Kingdom and basically get someone to reproduce the stories. So new writers and new artists to basically just kind of copy and paste and publish them in the UK. So that's what uh, Leonard Miller and Sons were doing with Fawcett Comics. So Captain Marvel, as well as all the other books Fawcett were doing, Miller and Sons would hire writers and pencilers to essentially shot by shot, line for line, recreate the American comics and then distribute them in newsstands across the UK. And in the kind of early 1950s, when superhero comics really began to take off in the UK, Captain Marvel was massive. Captain Marvel was bigger than Superman in the UK. He, he really was like the premier superhero in, in Britain. And so when suddenly Miller and Sons find out that Fawcett aren't making any more Captain Marvel comics, they don't want to stop, obviously. <laughs> and so basically what you, what you have happen is Leonard Miller, who owned Leonard Miller and Sons, he is the Miller of this equation, uh, enlisted Mick Angler, who was like a very prominent British comic book writer at the time. And also he worked in comic packaging as well um, to basically turn Billy Batson into royalty-free Billy Batson, let's say. <laughs> um, it's kind of, it just became a change it enough that we don't get sued, but don't change it too much that readers will notice the difference. Because the idea was they wanted to kind of recreate Captain Marvel into a character that if, you know, the people that were picking up Captain Marvel Adventures in the UK wouldn't really, like kids wouldn't really notice the difference, but National slash DC's lawyers would, was the idea. Hmm. And it's even like, the similarities are so intentional that like when they turned the comic from Captain Marvel Adventures into Marvel Man, they didn't even restart the numbering again. Oh, jeez, Really? So, like, Captain Marvel Adventures in the UK finished off at issue 24. So, what basically what they would happen is they would collect the comic strips and then release them as comic books. Interesting. Um, they, the last Captain Marvel Adventures comic in the UK was issue 24. The original McAnglo Marvel Man run starts at issue 25. Wow. Like, literally. That's blatant. Like, yeah, that is, oh, yeah, that is balls on that, like, for sure. DC aren't going to notice. There's an entire ocean here <laughs> they can cross the seas they can they can take us to court well and it's it, it it's interesting that they decided to go that route instead of i mean deciding to take this character and say let's just make our own version of this character not like and they didn't really i mean they didn't change enough of him to make him feel as original as you know as a new character should like he literally he's a kid who changes into a superhero with a code name right he yeah, says literally kimota instead of shazam that's it it goes from being billy batson um the kid who when he says shazam turns into captain marvel you get mickey moran who when he says kimota which just happens to be <laughs> atomic moran. backwards um transforms into marvel man who has the exact same power sets as Captain Marvel, um, his two best friends are also superpowers, uh, are also kind of superheroes that kind of siphon off his power in the same way that kind of the Captain Marvel family are. So you have Kid Mir you have Kid Marvel Man, and you have Young Marvel Man, who say when they say Marvel Man, they transform, and they basically go around fighting 
royalty-free Shazam villains um, <laughs> instead of like Dr. Silvana, uh, as we know, played by the, the the lovely Mark Strong in the Shazam movie. Incredible. You have Dr. Gargunza um, <laughs> and, and so on. I mean, you have to remember this, especially like here in like 1954, when the character first showed up, comics, superhero comics were aimed at young children. This is like, especially in the UK as well. I know obviously like in the late 50s and early 60s, comics in America kind of became focused at an older readership. In the UK, it was still very much aimed at like school children. So they're not putting a lot of thought into these decisions because of the the demographics that they're targeting. Their logic is it's got superheroes and it's bright colours. Kids will read it. They they won't question why Captain Marvel is now now has blonde hair and throws London buses at people. And his very, his costume is, what I love about like looking at the early like McAnglo stuff is like how much it feels like time in a bottle like the art really style, does. the the dialogue is very much of that era. Yeah, it's I, I describe it um in the I'm currently at the time you're listening to this working on a Miracle Man video of my own. I describe it as like a great encapsulation of like the age of innocence of comics. Yeah. Like that era where like superhero comics were so like pure and jovial and so like almost like careless in a way. And then like you compare that to what happens with the character later on in the, the reinvention in the eighties, you couldn't get to know where Marvel man starts in 1954 and where Mm. he kind of ends up when more finishes in 1985 couldn't be further from each other. It's wonderful. So yeah. So Marvel man shows up in issue 25 of his now self-titled series that we're not going (laughs) to mention used to be Captain Marvel's comics. And then not long after that, they launched like, uh, another title, The Marvel Man Family, which would focus around him and his two sidekicks, not Freddie and Mary. We're not allowed Definitely to say not. those names. Absolutely not. And for like the first five years, it sold really well. Marvel Man was a very popular comic book in the UK. And then things started to kind of go wrong in 1959. Um, the Marvel Man Family book was cancelled due to poor sales and they kind of just went back to just doing the main Marvel Man book. And then at the same time, the British government lift the import ban on non-essential goods, which meant that America, American comic publishers like Marvel and DC could ship their books over to the UK without needing mm. like a third party distributor. So what you basically have is, and you have to remember as well, these Marvel Man books that were published in the UK were published in black and white. They weren't colored because obviously it was cheaper to, to right. print comics in black and white. DC and Marvel's books were all, you know, super bright colors. So suddenly you have newsstands and kind of and comic and bookshops in the UK getting flooded with all of these brand new comic books that kids might have, you know, heard about on the radio or, or whatever kids listened to in the 50s. <laughs> heard of, you know, that heard a Superman radio special or something, or like one of those incredible TV serials from the 40s and 50s. Oh. And now suddenly they have the opportunity to read a proper american comic book you know in bright color and you know with all the kind of fanfare that goes with it and so marvel man kind of you know the scene in toy story <laughs> where woody has like that dream where andy like drops him and like, i don't want to play with bin. you anymore yeah that's basically yeah. what happens to marvel man <laughs> um 
Marvel and DC's books kind of come over to the UK and they become like the new hot commodity. Right. And Marvel Man kind of falls by the wayside. Um, in February 1963, both the Marvel Man and the Young Marvel Man comics conclude at issue 346 because they were weekly comics. Wow. Um, so there are a lot, a lot of issues there. Um, so they both ceased publication in February 1963. And by 1966, Miller and Sons have gone bankrupt. The company doesn't exist. The original uh, Mick, Mick Anglo had already left by the time that they ceased publication uh, yeah. after falling out with Miller. And yeah, basically, it, the character just kind of faded from, from obscurity. He went from being like, within like a nine-year period, went from being created to becoming like the hottest commodity in British comics to just not existing basically and everyone just kind of like getting some sort of like collective amnesia that he even existed you know which sounds his very initial... similar to another marvel character that we'll we'll talk about a little we bit will down get the line to that because for sure if it's who i'm thinking of it's a marvel character that i also have a deep affinity for yes <laughs> um but yes we were, i almost did make that joke that it's like some sort of reverse century mm-hmm. um but yeah, throughout like the original nine-year run of, of the Mick Anglo Marvel Man series, in total, between like all of the Marvel Man umbrella comics, Young Marvel Man, Marvel Man Family, and then also like annuals, specials, coloring books, all of the other stuff that was published with him on, he appeared over 700 comics. And then like that just didn't exist and just faded away from like the collective consciousness completely. So you know, the, by the time, by the time that he kind of comes back into publication, no one knows. No one really knows who he is because it's, it's just like, like a this twenty lost generation, gap, where, right? Yeah. And so, like, it's crazy. It's it's interesting to me that the the comic had such a you know a popularity, and obviously, with it being in black and white, they're able to ship it out weekly and get something that's you know something that they can do on a weekly basis it's not like today where like a book goes weekly and all of a sudden it now has five or six different artists that have to be on the book um but it's interesting to me that this book just kind of is what people cling to because they can't get marvel and dc comics and then as soon as marvel and dc becomes available it gets dropped and like you said in 1963 it's gone forever and then all of a sudden, right around like 20 years later, I think it's 82, um, a, a little, a little uh, British black and white uh, anthology book is what brings it back, right? Yeah. So the story of how Marvel Man returns to print is kind of equally as interesting as how it goes out because you have obviously British kind of, the British comic scene kind of gets invaded by American books in the late fifties. You have like the foundation of Marvel UK and that's where you get like Captain Britain and a lot of that other stuff. Um, and then like by the early eighties, the British comic book scene really started to change its demographic and its target audience. It really started moving towards more teenage and kind of university age readers. Um, and you saw the rise in a lot darker books in a way like, even, you know, talking about Miracle Man as a precursor to where the American comic industry would go. In like the early, early 80s, you have stuff like 2000 AD, you have 
the rise of Judge Dredd. So one of the big comic book characters in the UK. And that's doing the kind of stuff you'd get in American comics in the late 80s mm-hmm. and in almost an entire decade before. So you have this like this kind of second wave of superhero comics in Britain, but a much more darker and kind of politically driven um, approach to kind of storytelling with an older audience. And so 2008 was an anthology book. It featured just Dread, featured a load of other characters as well. And with its success, along with like the success of the Marvel UK books, Des Skin um, started up his own. What a name. What a name, Des Skin. That's a very, that's a very British name, Des Skin. Des <laughs> um, Skin and his company, um, Quality Communications, I think it was. Uh, I don't have it written down, but that sounds correct. Um, he started up, He Des Skin was the editorial director for Marvel UK at the time. So he oh. very much had experience in the kind of British comic scene and seeing the rise of 2000 AD and that kind of, more mature anthology format decided to create his own book that would rival that so he created warrior um and the cool thing about warrior is it really is like the place where a lot of promising comic book writers and artists kind of make their name not only is alan moore kind of one of the featured writers there you also have guys like alan davis brian bolland dave gibbons like so many interesting people neil gaiman you know so many people that go and become like huge names in the industry and are so like well associated with the 80s in comics you know especially the likes of dave gibbons and brian bolland all kind of really cut their teeth at warrior um and basically how Marvel Man Returns to Print was just a case of Deskin needed comic strips to fill out the issues of Warrior. And because Miller and Sons had gone out of business, there didn't seem to be anyone who kind of held the copyright to Marvel Man. Like that, that's how obscure and kind of unwanted the character was that it was kind of just free for anyone to take. Um, and so Deskin took it upon himself and reproduced the original comic strips in Warrior. Um, so it was almost like a, a, a crime of convenience. It's like, yeah, oh, we like need Deskin, space to fill. That was it. They needed space to fill. Deskin kind of remembered um, the original McAngelo run and thought, you know, this will fill a spot, basically. Um, but at the same time... Um, as well as kind of reproducing the original comics, Skin knew that the, the best approach forward would be to tell new Marvel Man stories. Uh, and it was very much inspired by what happened to Captain Britain at the time when Skin works at Marvel UK, because Captain Britain kind of went through a very similar revival um, where they brought him back into publication. They kind of retold some of the original Captain Britain stories and then told a more kind of darker reinvention afterwards. Mm. Um skin kind of wanted to adopt that same approach with marvel man so he kind of went about looking for writers who would not only want to kind of like slightly retweak the original stuff like touch up the dialogue a bit so it works better for kind of modern readers but then also kind of use that as a framework and like a a launching point to tell a new generation of marvel man stories the interesting thing was alan moore wasn't the first name that had that Deskin considered. It was actually Steve Parkhouse, um, who was a very prominent writer over at Marvel UK at the time, who declined. And then after that, Skin went over to Steve Moore, uh, no relation, uh, I do want to add. 
Interesting. Um, Steve Moore and Alan Moore had worked together. They kind of had a, a, an acquaintance with one another. And Steve Moore suggested to Des Skin, you know, it's not something I'm interested in, but I know Alan Moore is a huge Marvel Man fan. You know, he might be interested. Um, and so Skin approached Moore. Moore was interested. And so it was kind of a marriage of convenience. Moore had talked, even like when Moore was first making his name working at, uh, on 2000 AD and working at some other places, I think Moore even works on the Doctor Who comics at one point. That must be wild. <laughs> um, Moore had kind of frequently talked in the offices about his ambition to write Marvel Man one day without knowing that Des Skin was kind of hard at work on getting the rights and bringing it back. Wild. There's a great interview that Moore did in 2009 with Mania.com where he talks about when he first discovered Marvel Man. Uh, and if you'd like, I, I can read you what he said. Yes, let's do it. Because uh, I have it in front of me. So in the 2009 interview with Mania.com, Moore recalls, the origin of the reinvented character, as far as I was, as far as I was concerned, was as a small boy, I'd been visiting Yarmouth with my parents, which is a British seaside resort that we used to go to every year. And I remember that the little seaside bookstores used to sell comics and books that would presumably have been on a different distribution circuit. And sort of you'd get titles turning up that you wouldn't get at your newsagent and bookstores at home. I had picked up a copy of a Young Marvel Man annual, which was a strange hard-covered thing that would be completely unfamiliar to an American audience. But this was a collection of Young Marvel Man and Marvel Man strips by Mick Anglo. I also picked up one of those Ballantine paperbacks of Harvey Kurtzman's Matt. It was one that had Super Duper Man. Since I picked up those two things on the same day, and bearing in mind that I was like 12, it occurred to me that maybe I could do a brilliant parody like Super Duper Man, but of an English superhero. So I started to kind of parody, I started to kind of imagine a parody of Marvel Man, where he'd forgotten his magic word. I don't know where I was going to do this, obviously, derivative piece of work, but it never happened. But the idea did kind of lodge in my mind. There you go. That's fascinating. That it's it's so kind, of, kind of always had this yeah. idea in the back of his head to do this almost like self-referential parody of Marvel Man, this kind of obscure comic book he remembered as a kid, without knowing that Des Skin at the exact same time was hard at work trying to bring Marvel Man back. Um, so it's kind of like a, a match made in heaven. Skin approaches him, more obviously is is happy to do it. Skin partners in with Gary Leach, though quite a few different artists come and go throughout Moore's run. I was going to ask, like, was was Gary Leach, like, I know you said um, Alan Moore wasn't the first pick for this. Was Gary Leach the first pick for this book? Uh, as far as I know, Leach was the first artist kind of approached. But one of the things, especially when you read the Moore run, you kind of expect... Um, I, I, you know, actually, I do think if I remember correctly, Dave Gibbons was approached previously. Oh, okay. Um, which is funny because obviously Gibbons right. and Moore become such an iconic tandem. Um, but Gary Leach is certainly the first one to say yes, um, but he doesn't last massively long. It really kind of comes and goes throughout the entire run. But yeah, it, it starts with it starts with Moore and Leach, and then they in March of 1982, the first issue of Warrior comes out, and in it is the very first of the kind of new era of Marvel Man stories. So, of course, eventually we would see that Marvel Man would be turned into Miracle Man. What was the the decision behind that? 
So the interesting thing is, and this seems to be quite a common delineation that people call the original kind of McAnglo comics Marvel Man and call more and everything after that Miracle Man. Mm. The, the moment in which Marvel Man becomes Miracle Man is kind of weird and awkward because it's like halfway through Maul's run. Oh, interesting. So, so originally, because it's in an anthology book, Marvel Man wasn't, Maul's Marvel Man wasn't collected as issues. Um, basically what happens uh, in 1984, I think it is, is Deskin licenses out the rights to Marvel Man to an American publisher. Um, at one point he pitches it. Well, I'll, I'll get into it more when the timeline fits, but he basically gave the rights to Eclipse Comics, who are an American comic publisher. Mm. And they reprint everything that Moore had done up until that point as a six-issue run. And then from that point onwards, it's Miracle Man. When it's reprinted for American audiences, they change the name because of factors I will get into right. uh, once we get there in terms of the story. So obviously, um, Marvel Man, Miracle Man, whatever you want to call him, is a hit because he's being yeah. printed in this, you know, this. I mean, it's kind of hard to tell because it's an anthology book. You don't right. know how much of that is because of Marvel Man and how much. But then again, you know, try and name another story that was in Warrior in 1982. I can't tell you anything <laughs> that I even knew about Warrior in 1982. But it's it's fascinating to me that they decided, okay, we're going to, you know, it's crime of convenience. We've got this character. We're going to throw him in there. We'll put Alan Moore on it. We'll put Gary Leach on it. Gary Leach eventually you know leaves the book um for i think i read somewhere alan davis yeah alan davis works in it for a little bit it's very kind of it's like a conveyor belt of artists i think at one point when it when it got moved to eclipse i think chuck austin drew it for oh interesting like rick veitch worked on it it was really like people just kind of came in and out for different issues um so as as we kind of get into you know the story itself with Alan Moore's reinvention and, you know, uh, I guess soft reboot of the character. Can you give oh, us yeah, a, definitely. just a brief uh, kind of synopsis of what the story was? Because it's obviously, it's not going to be the same Mick Anglo stuff that they were already doing with him and the whole Marvel family. What yeah. was the, the, I guess, the elevator pitch for Alan Moore's take on uh, on Marvel Man, Miracle Man? So as I kind of, you can kind of allude to in the more interview I read, he kind of had this idea of doing this self-referential parody, the idea of, um, and I think even like Moore proposed the name Miracle Man when he thought he was going to do like a knockoff character. Interesting. I think that's where the name originates from, which is ironic because when they moved to Eclipse and they had to change the name, Moore was quite annoyed about it. <laughs> he, he wasn't happy about them having to change the name, more because of, the reasons why they were forced to change um, right. lawsuits, litigation. It's a very common theme when it comes to talking about Miracle Man. Fun. Is people always getting threatened of being sued. Um, <laughs> Gotta love it. But Moore was kind of given free reign to tell whatever story he wanted. Uh, Des Skin and the people at Warrior were kind of happy as long as it kind of met its deadlines. Hmm. Uh, and it's funny now because, you know, now if you said Alan Moore's going to write this whatever, it comes with like a certain level of expectations. Of course. In 1982, Alan Moore 
you know, wasn't is def- definitely doesn't have the status Alan Moore has now, or even would have a couple of years later in the eighties. Right. This, you know, the one-two punch of Moore writing concurrently, Marvel Man and V for Vendetta at the same time is really what launches him. Yeah, I know. Talk about writing two books at the same time. Jeez, Something really yeah. must have been in the water in Northampton. <laughs> um. So the original, the, the first, what you'd consider the first issue of uh, Marvel Man is an eight-page story called A Dream of Flying. And as we will get into, uh, if you're familiar with the Marvel Comics character, the Sentry, this will be very familiar. Um, if you've ever read Paul Jenkins and Jay Leach's, Jay Lee's Sentry miniseries from Incredible 2000, book. The Marvel Knights, it's a beautiful book. It's one of my absolute favourites. It is just this, though. <laughs> it's literally this first just in one page strip. Um, so basically, it starts and you meet Michael Moran, the former Mickey Moran, the kind of Billy Batson clone who turned into Marvel Man. He is now in his 40s. He has no memory of ever being Marvel Man. He's married. He's He works as a reporter. He's kind of a bit of a slob. He's kind of overweight. He's kind of in a bit of a rut and he suffers from migraines. That's, that's a big recurring theme in these early issues. He suffers from these migraines um, and he has nightmares every night of what we would kind of find out is his previous life. He has dreams of flying and he has these horrible nightmares of fighting these larger than life villains and monsters and having sidekicks and being a superhero. And Basically, one day he's out reporting at a, an anti-nuclear um, power plant protest kind of thing mm-hmm. when terrorists hijack and take a load of people hostage, including Michael Moran. And he's kind of having like his migraines kick in as he's kind of been like pushed around by the terrorists. And he kind of has this, I don't know whether you'd call it an epif- like an epiphany or a breakdown, but like he just suddenly mutters the word Kimota and then you get this big flash of light, Marvel Man's back. And it's meant to be, you know, the first time he's ever been the character since he was a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, he easily dispatches of, of the terrorists and he returns home. Um, and his, his wife Liz wakes up and sees him in his superhero persona for the very first time. And there's this great um, like two-page part in the comic strip, which is just... Because now, now he's transformed back. He remembers everything. He remembers, right. you know, his life as a superhero. And he's recounting all of his great adventures and telling Liz about, you know, Kid Marvel Man and Young Marvel Man and all of the, the Dr. Gargunza and all the villains he fought. And she doesn't believe him. Like, she she laughs at him. And there's a bit where, like, he gets, like, really emotionally, like, slams his, his fist through, like, the table. And he's like, this is my life we're talking about here. You're laughing at it. And it's this really like heartbreaking moment where you, and it that bit in particular reminds me so much of the first issue of the century where he right. goes home and has like the argument with his wife and also a fight with his dog. I think it was. <laughs> um, and so basically what happens is in the kind of, so we'll go through like the first series of strips before the break happens, because the comic does go on a year long hiatus mm-hmm. um, at one point. So I will kind of talk you through, like the first volume, basically. Yeah. And so with his powers and his memories back, he kind of goes looking for his former sidekicks. He goes looking for a young Marvel Man and, and Kid Marvel Man. And what's interesting is we kind of, we learn what 
uh, Marvel Man's last memories were, which is basically him, Kid Marvel Man and Young Marvel Man, go into space to stop Dr. Gargunza from, I don't know, destroying a space station or something. Yeah. And the three of them are hit with an atomic bomb. And then he wakes up in a hospital months later, his, you know, his limb, his arms and legs are broken and he has no memory of oh, anything. Man. And that moment's so powerful to me because, you know, I talked earlier about the Mick Anglo era kind of being like the age of innocence for superhero comics. Like it's really emblematic of that kind of late golden age, early silver age period where like Batman would go to space and wear a silly colored costume and (laughs) Superman would split himself into two and then would marry two different women. All that kind of, you know, the Jimmy Olsen era of Superman. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so you have this, kind of addendum to that era written by Moore where you see like and I, I love the fact that like Marvel Man being hit with this atomic bomb is like the harsh like reality sets in you know in the previous era of like the Mick Anglo stories the battles that Marvel Man and his partners fought there'd never be any long-lasting consequence you know the status quo would always resume to normality at the end of every story as right. classic comics always did and yet it ends with this kind of things will never be the same after that yeah and so he goes looking and he he finds that jonathan banks um the former kid marvel man is now an adult and now he's like a successful businessman that like launched a company in like cybernetics Um, so they kind of reconnect mike in his kind of human persona is like depowered persona and liz go and meet up with him and we learned that jonathan survived the blast whereas it like it wiped uh, Mike Moran of his powers and his, his memory of being Marvel Man. Johnny kept everything. You know, he was injured for a bit, but he, he kept his memory. He still had his powers and he kind of just rebuilt his life and became an adult. Or so well, let's believe. Um, basically what happens is Mike doesn't believe him and tries to push him off a building. Oh, shit. And that causes John to kind of unveil his powers and reveal that He's not actually aged because he's never gone back to being depowered Johnny Banks oh, after the blast because of like the fear it put in him. He always stayed as Kid Marvel Man. And obviously, like, masquerading. Like, because yeah. he's kind of like the Freddy character from Shazam, is like the mm-hmm. closest comparison. Imagine, you know, in the, say, the end of the Shazam movie where he transforms into like also an adult hero. He just stays like that because he's too scared of what had happened. Especially knowing that like Marvel Man's not there anymore. And right. especially when we find out that kid Marvel Man died in the attack and he's not seen in the rest of the story. Yeah. He decides he's basically just going to stay as young Marvel Man. And this sets up like one of the big themes, if not like the biggest theme of Moore's run, which is this idea that power corrupts everyone. Mm-hmm. That immense, no matter what your intentions are, to quote the great philosopher Kanye West, no one man can have all that power. <laughs> it's this idea that like Johnny has had 25 years being the most powerful person on earth and knowing that, what does that do to someone? Right. You could have been like the nicest, like most altruistic person in the world, but having knowing you hold that power over mortal people for that long will change you. And that's mm-hmm. basically what happens. Um it leads into a big fight between Marvel Man and um, young Marvel Man. 
sorry, uh, it leads into a big fight between Marvel Man and Kid Marvel Man. They kind of throw each other, very like Man of Steel-esque, throwing mm. each other through the London streets. Love and that. because because Mike Moran hasn't really used his powers in a long time, like Jonathan like s- seriously overpowers him. Mm. And it's only his hubris and his arrogance that allows Marvel Man to beat him. So as I kind of outlined earlier, Marvel Man can kind of switch between his personas by saying Komoto. Uh, John switches between his by saying Marvel Man. Again, very much the yeah. Shazam and Captain Marvel. And so what happens is, you know, he's got him defeated. He's kind of standing over Marvel Man, giving his big evil speech. And he says, you're finished, Marvel Man. And then he transforms back into a oh, child. no. For the first time since the atomic blast hit them. Well, I, I love that conclusion too, too, because it's very much like almost a Silver Age solution to that problem. Oh yeah, it's it's so like early sixties Superman. Yeah, it's it, like it's, oh, it's really got him. It's just him him making a slip up, and that allows the hero to win the day. So yeah, so he he turns back into Jonathan, and there's this really cool moment where like the kid just breaks down into tears. Because like he has no control over, and what we find out because like Jonathan Banks's story is kind of a B plot for a lot of Moore's Marvel Man run, is he has this kind of clash of personas. He's mm. kind of being in his mind like the psychotic like sociopath kid Marvel Man is kind of bullying the very scared and innocent child in Jonathan Banks, and basically like as soon as he turns back, he just bursts into tears and hugs. Marvel Man, you know, he's like, I, I didn't mean to do any of it. You know, I can't control it. And so then Marvel I, Man basically And I know I know you said that Banks like in the um in the Kid Sorry, Marvel Bates, Man. Jonathan Bates. Bates. Uh in the Kid Marvel Man persona, you know, grew up, became an adult and everything, and obviously I'm assuming aged somewhat. Did No, so what John happens is age? So what no, no, John's still like a scared young child. So oh, obviously like, after the blast, Jonathan Bates just stays as the adult kid Marvel Man persona. Crazy. And just goes about being an, an adult, basically. And it's only like when he says Marvel Man's name, he transforms back and he's he's the exact same kid that Mickey Moran used to hang out with. But he was a kid stuck in this body for 20 years. That's yeah. terrifying. But obviously like, Mike Moran is no longer a kid. He he can't go back into being like that. Right. He doesn't get that age of innocence anymore. He is trapped in the body of a 40-year-old man. Mm. Um, and so he kind of he spares Kid Marvel Man's life. He's taken away and he's put into. We we kind of check back in with him every so often. He's mm-hmm. in hospital for a little bit, then he gets put into like uh the foster care system. And we, we check on with what he's getting up to. Spoiler alert. It's not particularly happy. Great. Um, love it. <laughs> so from here, this is where the idea of Marvel Man being a soft reboot comes to play. Mm-hmm. In that after this kind of first volume, if you will, this first kind of big story arc, more kind of starts to peel back the layers of the character's origin. And we meet this kind of shady government organization called Spook Show who see the fight between Marvel Man and Kid Marvel Man on the TV and basically task uh, 
someone called Evelyn Cream to basically apprehend and take Marvel Man out. Mm-hmm. Now, what we don't know at the time is Evelyn's a double agent working against Spook Show because he knows that what they're doing is really bad. But at the time, we're led to believe this person's been sent to exterminate Marvel Man for unknown reasons. Mm-hmm. So basically what happens is there's this great moment where Evelyn ambushes Mike Moran when he's in his human form at work in an elevator by throwing a baby at him. What? So he can't transform because if he he will kill the baby. Oh, he would kill the baby. Oh, God. Throws a baby at him, then hits him with like a tranquilizer dart. Genius. It's it's really clever. Um, and then so Cream takes Marvel Man to um, Spook Show's kind of science lab. And this is where things get wild because we basically learn about Project Zarathustra. Hmm. And this is where the big retcon comes in, where Marvel Man learns that all of his adventures from the entire Mick Anglo series never happened. It's it's all fake. Every memory he has of being Marvel Man isn't real. Whoa. More kind of completely throws out the original origin and writes a new one, where basically... Uh, an alien ship crash landed in the UK and it was mm. taken by the government and Spook Show, sh- Spook Show set up um, this Project Zarathustra where they were basically going to start melding human DNA and like clones, like cloning humans again and again and again and melding it with this alien tech and whatever they can find in this alien ship to create superhumans. Jesus. And the original three subjects that they create are Marvel Man, Kid Marvel Man, and Young Marvel Man. And they're basically being held in like Matrix X, like this Matrix style status where they're just being pumped in with these dreams of being superheroes. Jesus. That that's yeah. so and and to be clear, Young Marvel Man, I'm assuming, died in the Yeah, in Young the Marvel Man died in the past. Okay. So And now you may be thinking, how did that happen if all of their adventures are fake? Right. So basically what happens, also Dr. Gargunza, who's like the main villain of the Mick Angler series, he's the chief scientist of Project Zarathustra. Oh, of he course is the creator. he is. He is the guy that creates Marvel Man and the Marvel Man oh, family. Oh, man. Uh, basically, we see a bit of this here and then we see like the rest of the origin a bit later on, but I'm going to lump it all in together. We learn that while they're in the simulation, Marvel Man starts to become self-aware. He starts to kind of realize the holes in reality. Oh, jeez. And Gargunza notices this and the scientists freak out. And basically what happens is the British government pull the plug because they're like, well, what if these people get out? Mm-hmm. So they send them on an actual mission. Oh, okay. The, only, mis- the only actual mission they ever went on was when they go to space and they get hit by a nuke. Wow. Because that was all like predetermined by the UK government to kill them all. To basically like destroy the experiment, destroy the project completely. See, and now that feels like Alan Moore. Like yeah. <laughs> you think you think about some of the the books that he's most famous for, like that feels like Alan Moore. Oh, Just definitely. This complete... But like the re- the reveal that, like, oh yeah, you know that beloved but yet kind of obscure comic from the 50s doesn't. Didn't happen. It's, it's all fake. Crazy. And the oh. crazy part is, 
Moore follows this up with an equally big revelation on the next page. Like you could space this out and it would like still work just as well. Mm-hmm. So Marvel Man goes home to, to Liz and we find out that Liz is pregnant. And we also find out that Marvel Man and Mike Moran aren't the same person. They are two separate entities that occupy the same space. There's a bit later on where Mike Moran is in a fight depowered and he loses a finger. And yet whenever he transforms back into Miracle Man, he has the finger. the finger. Basically, what happens is it's not one person that can change their physiology. Mm-hmm. It's basically they swap places. So when one is present, the other one exists in what's called info space. Well, so it's like a it's like a negaband situation. Yeah. With like Captain Captain Marvel uh, yeah. and like Rick Jones. Yeah, you know, that's that's exactly that's yeah, that's exactly uh, what happens. And so basically Mike and Liz discover that Liz is pregnant. And the question is, well, if they're two separate people. Is it Mike's or is it Miracle Man's? That's yeah. oh man. And it, it becomes the question of not only is it Mike's or is it Marvel Man? Who does Liz want it to be? Yeah. Is it her loving husband of, you know, 20 <clears throat> years? Or is it this like incredible, like, like super Greek God, like superhero? Yeah. Who is actually the result of like evil scientists meddling with human DNA and alien technology? Wow. Yeah. So like, that is like a one two punch of reveals. Just like this was already like a really cool reinvention of a classic superhero just completely flips it on its head completely and so obviously there's many more revelations and stuff to come from that and i'm sure the book was i mean just from what you've described is incredible and i don't want to you know go through the entire story since i'm sure i know i am and i'm sure our listeners definitely want to go and find out how that story ends but eventually of course as you've alluded to, you know, Alan Moore's time with uh, with Marvel Man, Miracle Man did end with issue number 16. Yeah. yeah. So basically what happens from this point, just to kind of, I won't get too deep into the plot, but there's a little bit more I want to cover. Oh, yeah, please. Explain some behind the scenes stuff. So basically after this revelation, Marvel Man goes searching for Dr. Uh, Garazuza. Garazunza, <laughs> Garazunza, sure. there yeah. he is. Dr. Garazunza. Gorgonzola. Um, yeah, him. And basically what happens is Dr. Gorgonza kidnaps Liz and holds her hostage in Paraguay and basically says he's going to finish his experiments with the baby because the baby oh. is going to be the first naturally born superhuman. Oh. And he's going to use it to finish off his crazy alien experiments. Yikes. Um, and then so you have like two, what would be like two issues worth of comic strips were Marvel Man and Evelyn Cream and also Big Ben, who's a character I didn't want to get into. A very silly character. It's okay. one of the reasons why Alan Moore went on strike because he didn't want to include Big Ben. Oh. Um, they go looking for go, uh, the Doctor and go yeah. looking for Liz. And it ends on this cliffhanger where they show up and Dr. Gorgonza says... Uh, a fail-safe word, and transforms him back into Mike Moran, and he can't switch back. Oh, shit. 
because he's his creator, he basically has right. an override word. Of course. And so they're all like, Mike, Liz, and Cream are all in the corner, like surrendering with like guns on them. Oh, and then there's another comic for nearly two years. Two years? Yeah, that's that's another plot twist for you. Because um two things, so two things happen as this is all going on. One, Alan Moore and Deskin um getting to a bit of a rivalry over finances, basically, because the Marvel Man books become a bigger success than anyone anticipated. More and also is one of the reasons why the artist changed so much. More basically says, well, I should be compensated better, which is reasonable. Yeah. Skin, obviously, you know, it's a relatively small company. They're not right. as lucrative as kind of Marvel UK are. And it kind of leads to a stalemate where more, um, for one reason or another, comics don't get made for a while. Um, and at the same time, Marvel Comics finds out about Marvel Map. Oh, no. And... It's probably worth mentioning at this point that when time when Timely slash Atlas changed their name to Marvel Comics in 1959, I think it was, they start buying up as many trademarks, trademarks with the word Marvel in as possible, including Captain Marvel, which is why Captain Marvel's called Shazam at DC. Interesting. Um, and so they basically threatened to take Des Skin and his company Quality Publications to court and say, oh, we own the rights to the word Marvel map. Right. And basically because of like these, these two factors that are going on more, basically going on strike and th- Marvel threatening to sue them. He basically, Deskin basically decides to cut his losses and try and sell the rights on to a, another company. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, something I learned recently was uh, I knew that they pitched it to Marvel to actually say, look, just have him. Um, Deskin actually met with Marvel's editor-in-chief at the time, Jim Shooter. Um, and Shooter right. said, look, I think it's an interesting story, but we can't have a character called Marvel Man because they would inherently, whether or not we market them as such, be our flagship character. Mm-hmm. And we don't want our flagship character to be a depressed middle-aged man in a weird love triangle with his alter ego. Yeah. Does not great optics. In, they also pitched it to DC. Um, as well, DC weren't interested. One thing that came out around the time, and I think it's when they pitched it to Marvel, um, and maybe to get around this, Moore actually suggested calling the book Kimota in the same way DC had actually called their Captain Marvel comic Shazam, which is interesting. Um, Eventually, they make a deal with Eclipse Comics in 1984 to not only reproduce the original uh, comic strips, there was, I think there was 18 chapters in the original run up until this point. Uh-huh. They condensed that, they color it, they kind of touch up the artwork a little bit, and they release that in the States as a six-issue graphic novel, and that's when it becomes Miracle Man. Right. So from this point onwards, I will refer to the character as Miracle Man. <laughs> um, and then after those six issues are released, they contract more, they give him a raise or whatever, and he comes back and he finishes his story off. Um, a story that ends in equally shocking and disturbing fashion. Um, sure. We won't get into it too much, but the ending of, uh, and especially what happens in the, the climactic issue 15, because the final issue is very much like an epilogue. Mm. Um, issue 15 is like the real end of Moore's story is, is one of the most kind of shocking and infamous moments in comic history, I would say. Interesting. 
And he's able to accomplish this in just 15, you know, 16 with an epilogue issues. Yeah. This kind of like rise. And what's interesting because one of the, I think it's issue seven. It's like the first of the new story under Eclipse comics. Mm-hmm. I think it's issue eight or nine, but is a fill-in from a different writer. Moore didn't even do that story. Oh, interesting. So it's really, there's one less issue there than, than you think. Crazy. So obviously Moore comes back. He finishes off his time with now Miracle Man. And yes. due to, you know, I'm sure scheduling, I'm sure he wanted to move on to another character and other stuff. He Well, at the time that this, like within the year of legal disputes and drama, Moore had kind of started working more at DC. Like mm-hmm. they'd done his Swamp Thing run. He was getting ready to do some of his Superman books. Like he, at this point, he was becoming a bigger, bigger name at comics. Right. Um, kind of really starting to make his name at DC. But he very much did want to come back and kind of finish his, his Miracle Man story. And so this happened late 80s, 88, 89, I'm assuming. Um, so issue 15 uh, comes out in November 1988. And I think okay. issue 16 is December. So it's it's kind of more kind of finishes it off between like 85 and 88. It's nice. like the, the second half of like the new Miracle Man stories. And so he passes the torch on to Neil Gaiman who is another yes. prolific writer. Yeah, so basically, like, Moore sets out that he's going to leave the title after the end of issue 16, sets up in a way that wraps up his story quite nicely, but also leaves room and leaves, like, the threads of a new status quo that a new writer can pick up on. Mm-hmm. Um, more specifically kind of picks Neil Gaiman as someone he wants to take over from him. Mm-hmm. Um, Miracle Man's kind of sensibilities as a character work really well with the stuff Gaiman was doing at the time. Right. And Gaiman takes over and goes, starts with issue 17 and goes up to issue 24. And then more behind the scenes drama happens. Basically, uh, Eclipse Comics go out of business before issue 25 is printed. It was oh, written, geez. it was penciled, but it's never been published. Wow. Um, which was, I don't, I don't know if that was necessarily going to be the last of that era of stories or whether, you know, there's going to be a bit more, but it was, it was kind of cut off at the legs. Mm-hmm. Eclipse go out of business in 1994 and Gaiman's run isn't finished. That is kind of something you have, once you get into the history of Miracle Man, you realize just how stop start it is. Yeah. And how, which like... I think kind of adds to the mystique a little bit. Right. Cause he's, he's this character who, at every turn is prevented from having, you know, his kind of all-star moment or, you know, conclusion because of, you know, writer strike or companies going out of business or like ownership issues. Yeah, from one way to another, it's like, you just can't get an extended run going. Yeah. Um, Basically what happens after this point is, so two years later in 96, Todd McFarlane, um, the- Todd McFarlane of Spawn Timber fame? Yes, of, of Spawntober, everyone's favorite Spawn oh, you're right. month. Um, Todd McFarlane, you know, co-founder of Image Comics, superstar artist and toy maker extraordinaire in the 90s. He buys all of Eclipse's assets for $25,000, um, which you would be, you would believe includes Miracle Man. Of course. This basically leads to a big legal dispute between him and Neil Gaiman over who owns the character. Really? 
because the way that the contract with Eclipse works, I, I don't have the exact statistics in front of me, mm-hmm. but the way it works is Eclipse was like a part creator owned company. I think it was the way Eclipse owned a third and then the writer and the artists owned thirds as well. Interesting. Or something along those lines. Right. And because, you know, Alan Moore is the way he is when it comes to royalties and credit on his work, Gaiman was the writer that essentially would assume that 30%. Right. And so, and I think as well, um, the artists, I think, because obviously with Gary Leach being the original co-creator, I think he passed on it as well. So Gaiman oh. had a right to basically try and claim the majority ownership right. of Miracle Man with kind of, you know, Moore's kind of consent. Mm-hmm. And so this leads into like a really long legal battle between Todd McFarlane and Neil Gaiman over who owns the rights to the character. Wow. Um, they went back and forth for nearly 10 years in court over it, both between like this and then Gaiman um Gaiman and McFarlane also falling out over certain characters being used in Spawn mm. without proper ownership of rights. Right. It became a really bitter legal battle between the two for the, you know, it spilled into the mid 2000s. Um, wow. It was only really in 2009 that the ownership of Miracle Man was really kind of set in stone. And as is quite common with this character, it, there was another shocking twist. And it turned out, neither of them owned it because as we mentioned earlier des skin didn't own it des skin assumed it was in the public domain because miller and sons went out of business no one had picked up the copyright right so he just started printing them mm. basically what happens is as this big like famous court battles going on between between gaiman and mcfarlane mick anglo finds out and mick anglo's like hey i'm the original writer and artist of marvel man I want it. So in 2009, the courts basically give all of Marvel Man slash Miracle Man's rights to Mick Anglo. Wow. And then Mick Anglo, um, that same year, I think, sells it to Marvel Comics. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. So in a very Return of the King style, Mick Anglo comes back to s- <laughs> swipe the miracle man out from this almost like you said you know decade and a half battle between neil gaiman and todd mcfarlane and then just immediately goes and sells it to marvel comics yeah um so yeah so marvel get the rights soon after anglo is kind of rewarded them not even rewarded them back it's just clarified that anglo always had the rights Mm-hmm. Um, now, I don't think Des Skin knew this, but I do know that when Des Skin first kind of got the idea to republish and kind of bring Marvel Man back, he was in conversation with Mick Anglo. Um, so Anglo was aware that he was doing this. Yeah. And as well, when um, when Warrior did the reprints of the, when, sorry, Eclipse did the original reprints when they collected the first six issues, they added like a prologue at the start. Oh. Um, which is one of the original Marvel Man stories that Mick Anglo huh. wrote. And it's kind of disputed whether or not Anglo actually came back and touched it up because they changed all the dialogue to kind of fit this new ah, context. Ah, I see. Okay. There's a, a bit of like historical dispute on whether or not Anglo came back and worked on it, but they had Anglo's consent to kind of repurpose that old story. Mm-hmm. So then 
obviously Marvel gets the uh, Miracle Man license. They, I'm sure, yeah. reprint all their stuff. Yeah, so uh, Marvel get the rights. Then in 2014, they do these really nice three-volume hardcovers, uh, which is the version of Miracle Man that I picked up uh, last year or the year before. Nice. Um, really beautiful. Like, they touch up the art slightly. They recolor it. There's oh, loads of, like, great behind-the-scenes, like, loads of Moore's original scripts and Gary Leach and Alan Davis's original oh, artwork. Yeah. The, the great, like, hardcover graphic novels. They're, they're really beautiful. Um, the only thing missing with them is Alan Moore doesn't have his name on them because he the condition that they let him they let Marvel reprint them was he said fine but I don't want my name on them so they're all oh, credited as Miracle Man by the original writer with Mick Anglo that's hysterical um, but yeah if you, if you can find them uh, there are rumors that Marvel might be doing another kind of publishing of both Moore and Gaiman's run in the future would make sense um, but if you can get hold of the 2014 marvel reprints they are really good uh, so yeah so, marvel get the rights they do these reprints in 2014 and then now in uh was it december when they did the timeless one shot december 29th 2021 yeah timeless one shot um which i haven't read just for transparency uh yes. at the time of recording i i've seen like the announcement on Twitter, which, um, yeah, fills me with emotion. Um, <laughs> but I haven't actually read, and I, I don't actually know too much about what they're setting up, other than it's going to involve Miracle Man coming to the Marvel Universe. Yeah. So basically, and obviously, spoilers for Timeless, uh, Timeless Number One, which I c- could be. It, it. I would understand if you would be more. Uh, listener if you would be more sensitive to spoilers of a comic that came out literally two weeks ago than a comic that came out decades before but uh timeless number one is this book that marvel has been touting for weeks if not months as your guide to what's going to happen in the coming year so this book was basically this is what's going to happen in the next year of marvel comics and timeless is this story of king the conqueror everyone's favorite marvel villain everyone's favorite and Kang is this you know Kang's this of course like uh statuesque character who is everything and nothing at the same time like he can be the silliest character and he can be the most deadly serious character and the story in very much the same way that I would say a like a kingdom come uh, would be is not told from his perspective, but it's told pr- from the perspective of this normal human person who Kang interacts with and takes him on very, as oh, I mentioned earlier, Doctor Who like adventures. Kang shows up in his in his little uh, writer's loft, like, hey, you're writing a book about how Doctor Doom is the best villain in the Marvel Universe. I'm going to forcibly take you on adventures to show you why I am the biggest villain in the Marvel Universe. And that's essentially the story. But the story is also uh, deals with multiverse stuff, timelines, and eventually we do get this big like double page spread of teases for the next coming year uh including stuff for the avengers including stuff for the x-men uh including stuff for my biggest excitement part of this is that ben riley is coming to my neck of the woods he's coming to the west coast 
uh lots of really like cool teases but the main you know thing that everyone has been taking out of it is the final issue or the final page because during this whole splash of um of teases for the next year the guy talks about how he saw this image that he can't get out of his head and in the final you know page turn reveal you see him drawing the image and it's the miracle man logo and so this is huge because marvel has had the rights since what 2013 2010 yeah, yeah around there yeah it's it's around that time and they have done literally nothing with the character besides reprint older stories. Yeah, they, they talked about quite a few years about getting Gaiman to finish off his story. Mm-hmm. Um, they got, like, Gaiman and both the artist that was working with Gaiman at the time that the kind of pull got plugged after issue 24, um, that, whose name is escaping me, and now I feel really bad. It's, oh, it's something Buckingham. I feel really bad. Oh, no. Mark Buckingham. Okay, Mark Buckingham cool. Was the artist working with Gaiman at the time? Um, like since like 2017, they've been talking about doing, like continuing on the original kind of Miracle Man story, mm-hmm. and then it keeps getting delayed and pushed back, and then they were talking about it again in 2019. And I think even like still very recently, Gaiman's talked about finishing off the the Miracle Man story. But yeah, right. The, the big reveal for this is that in some form or another. He's not only are they going to kind of continue off the story of Gaiman's doing it, mm-hmm. he's coming to the main Marvel universe, which which is interesting. And it's very yeah. similar to a story that came out a few years ago. <laughs> a story that's favorite. I, everyone's it's, it's favorite. Funny. I'm starting to think that Marvel and DC are in a competition on who can piss off Alan more than most. <laughs> Well, because DC <laughs> listener, if you're if you're not picking up what we're laying down, um, DC a few years back did a very similar thing with their DC Rebirth number one, which was a store a one a big one shot telling I was the story. Because, of... like I said, I haven't read the the timeless one shot. But as you were explaining it, I'm like, this is Rebirth. Yeah, this, this is, is the, DC the Rebirth, Rebirth one. Shot, one shot. Yeah. So basically, in that story, Wally West is your POV character, but he is someone who is, again, out of time, you know, viewing things that are going to be, you know, taking place in the Rebirth era, and it ends with the big tease of the Watchmen are coming to uh, the Marvel or the DC Universe, specifically Dr. Manhattan. And this is, of course, and my first thought immediately on this was just, I had to tweet out, like, Okay, so Marvel said, you know, Marvel looked at Doomsday Clock and said, okay, bet, let's do this. And so they're doing their own version, essentially. So I'm interested to see if they are going to specifically continue Gaiman and Buckingham's story, or if it's going to be, okay, we're throwing him into the Marvel Universe that he's either always been or never been in before, and we're going to see what happens. I I don't know anything for certain. They might have announced something um, recently, but I'm not familiar if I had to guess, I'd assume they would do both. That they mm. would, Gaiman and Buckingham would finish off their story. Marvel would pump it out and then collect it with the rest of the Gaiman run. Because Marvel are actively talking about doing new reprints of, of Gaiman's Miracle Man. Interesting. And then also do like a, an event book or whatever focused yeah. around Miracle yeah, Man. I, I could see them. The Marvel Universe. 
I could see them maybe like tweaking the original ending of Gaiman's run to like facilitate that. Cause it would be, it would be interesting. And there's, it's funny because when you, when you think about like, okay, Marvel is aping what DC did. There's another character who we've mentioned, you know, in this discussion and haven't really, you know, dived into that Marvel also kind of aped for their own. And that's the century. We talked, yeah. we mentioned it before. The Sentry has essentially been Marvel's Miracle Man. The story that he mentioned earlier by um, by Jay Lee and Paul Jenkins. Uh, Paul Jenkins, thank you so much. Um, is very much the same story of this character. Yeah. Now, I'm a I'm a huge fan of the Sentry character. I don't know whether I've talked about it on here or on anyone else that will give me the time of day, but <laughs> the original Marvel Knights Sentry miniseries is up there with my all-time favorite comics. And it's a very similar concept. Um, Jenkins and, and Lee will even tell you as much uh, that it was heavily inspired by Miracle Man. Basically, the premise of that is there was this lost Marvel superhero from the Silver Age that came out, that like predated the Fantastic Four, uh, in terms of like the big Kirby Lee Renaissance mm-hmm. that for one reason or another had been lost to time, both in the Marvel universe, the fictional universe, and also actual us readers, Marvel yeah, and I wizard partnered that. and did this big publicity stunt where they basically pretended to uncover like lost concept artwork. And they made up the story of this fake artist who had died and like his widow had found old boxes of artwork in the attic and they Wizard had published them and they got in touch with Stan Lee and Stan Lee was like, oh yeah, I, I remember that. Uh, and then it turns out later it was like a big stunt orchestrated by Jenkins, Joe Casada, Wizard, Lee. John yeah. Romita Sr. Was in, was in on it. He did all of the artwork. That's obviously so they wanted cool. They wanted it to look kind of time accurate to the early 60s. Right. So John Romita Sr. designed the, the Sentry costume and, like, and stuff like that. And the Sentry... Uh, Marvel Knight series. It's it's a five issue mini series, and it's basically the story of uh, Robert Reynolds, the Sentry, who is now a middle aged man. He's married. He's kind of depressed. He's a bit out of shape, and he one day remembers that he was the Sentry. Now, what I I think is cool, having reread Moore's Miracle Man run recently in preparation for a, a video I'm making, is it's this really cool combination of both like the origin story of Moore's Miracle Man with also uh, Kid Marvel Man. Because the big rev- the big twist reveal in the century is that, you know, he comes, he regains his memory because the Void is coming back and the Void is like his, the century's arch enemy who's going to destroy the world. And the big reveal is the century and the Void are the same person that Robert Reynolds is bipolar or schizophrenic or... Mm-hmm. Um, and he basically these are different alter egos that exist within Robert Reynolds he is both the Sentry and the Void and the reason why the world forgot the Sentry existed in the Marvel Universe is because the Sentry went to the Fantastic Four and he went to the Avengers and said look I am too dangerous as long as I remember I am the Sentry the Void will exist one right. cannot exist without the other so they basically erased his memory and the world's memory of the Sentry to by extension get rid of the void um and knowing and, and like i said rereading uh the johnny bates arc in moore's miracle man where he is this kind of like split personality evil supervillain, but can't control it mm-hmm. who ends up like being the big antagonist in 
the Miracle Man run when he kind of comes back later on. Like the Sentry is like this really interesting hybrid. Yeah. It's like, what if Miracle Man also had the split personality of, of Johnny Bates's character? Yeah. And so it is, it is really cool. But that's kind of like my concern with this timeless thing. Well, um, and, and I brought this up to, I don't know if I, it was you that I brought this up to on Twitter because, you know, having two characters who are very like eerily similar could prove to be a problem. However, recently in the King in Black story by Donny Cates and Ryan Stegman, they killed the sentry. Like they had yeah. an all rip sentry in half. Sentry is dead. Which is funny now because it makes me wonder, was that done? That was Because my they thought. knew they were bringing Miracle Man in. Was Sentry sacrificed? It is quite funny to me that it is quite funny to me that Miracle Man slash Marvel Man is a Shazam clone who was alleged to be the Superman clone, and then Marvel had the Sentry who is a Miracle Man clone. (laughs) But then they've also got Hyperion, who's kind of a Superman clone. There's it. There's it's a lot. (laughs) There are no original ideas, as Bo Burnham says. Art is dead, and art is dead. Deal with that. But I'm I'm very interested um, to see what Miracle Man brings to the Marvel Universe because he is a character who, oddly enough, you know, with his Alan Moore sensibilities, I feel would fit in better with a different era of Marvel comics. Like, yeah, slightly... I think I'm I feel like I'm slightly on the more pessimistic side of the timeless thing Fair. than you are, and um, partly just the fact that I've been reading so much Alan Moore comics have made me a grouchy, <laughs> pessimistic person that only has bad things to say about the mainstream comic industry. Um, it's called the more effect. It's the, the more, more you read, the less you like. The more, <laughs> the more you read. I'm glad you picked up on that. Um, but yeah, my, like I said, when I saw the, the big thing that Marvel put on Twitter about uh, the big ending of Timeless and the fact that Miracle Man is coming. My first thought was literally, oh, they're just doing Doomsday Clock. Yeah. They've got, we, we've got an Alan Moore property. We can drag out the grave as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that like the fact that they killed off the Sentry recently makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Like, they kind of occupy the same space. Um, the only yeah. thing I'd say with that is the Sentry is basically Miracle Man refitted to fit the marvel universe right whereas i don't know if especially like if they do a thing where like you know taking out gaiman's run if they introduce a miracle man that the alan moore run happened then it definitely can't have take place in the marvel universe exactly because that is a very distinct universe which by the end of moore's run is left in a very particular place does not return to the status quo right there is no way they could say, and Iron Man was over there. <laughs> um, and so it might have to be like a, a Doomsday Clock kind of thing where it's from an alternate universe or, or whatever. Five universe or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it, it does make me kind of interested if the reasons for kind of killing the Sentry off and getting rid of him pertain to the fact that they had plans to use Miracle Man. And yeah. if so, as someone that's a big fan of both characters... I, I still don't know if I like that idea. I feel like you could, yeah, I, I, I just. It would be interesting to have a story with the both of them, considering their power sets I'm actually, are also I, different. I'm not, if someone pitched to me, how about a story where Miracle Man meets the Avengers? It doesn't do a lot for me. But if you said a story where Miracle Man meets the Sentry, 
Now that, because there's so much you can mine there. Absolutely. Because one is so inspired by the other. And because of the fact that Miracle Man's history is so intertwined with essentially being a clone of other characters, mm-hmm. like that is kind of a rite of passage. Absolutely. You, you, there, you, you, could, make, you could make this kind of like family tree of Superman, Shazam, um, Marvel Man, Miracle Man, because obviously you could make that delineation based on Moore's retconning, but they are two right. different characters. Exactly. And then the century, there is like this, like five generations of, yeah. um, of homage and tribute and kind of ripoffs of each other. It would be um, interesting to get kind of a, you know, a cross between like Superman, Shazam, First Thunder and Spider-Man, where it's like you have these two characters who are so similar and you get to tell the story of the two of them trying to figure out, I mean, I guess who they are. And who they yeah, are in and I think that'd be other. interesting. That'd be interesting as well, because not to spoil the end of um, of Moore's Miracle Man run, it ends with Miracle Man basically questioning his status as a hero. Mm. It basically ends with him having had to do have to do something drastic at the end of the story, right. and wondering on wondering or not whether or he's left the world in a better place because of it, and wondering whether or not he's become the very thing that he originally swore to protect. Um, and then to contrast that with the Sentry who, you know, whether it's his original Marvel Knights miniseries, whether it's his appearances in New Avengers by Bendis, which is my introduction to the character and probably mm-hmm. uh, one of my favourite uses of him. He kind of goes the other way. He's this character who starts as like an out-of-control villain who becomes a hero. Right. So... It's, it reminds me of a, you could even do like an infinite crisis kind of thing with like the two Superman where one of them like ends up by circumstance going down a darker path and the other one is still more of like an altruistic hero. Yeah. That's, that is interesting to me. That's a story that I'd like to read. But, you know, if, if Marvel are going to put out something, it's like finally we can see Spider Man fight Miracle Man. <laughs> it's like, great. What, what, who is this for? <laughs> it's for Marvel. It's obviously and, for Alan Moore is who it's for. I know this definitely isn't something that they've thought about yet. I don't know. Maybe they have. Um, but when I, I was posting earlier today about uh, the Miracle Man video I'm making, someone posed the question, do you think we could ever see Miracle Man be adapted into you know the MCU or whatever? Oh, no. And it, it's funny because like, obviously Moore's had a lot of adaptations. You know, Watchmen, Viva Vendetta. Uh, the Killing Joke's been turned into a great animated movie that everyone should watch. Ugh. Oh, and I will fight you. I will fight you on the moon. <laughs> it's not good. It's not, not good. good. It's terrible. It's not good, and I regret watching it. <laughs> everyone that made it should apologize profusely. <laughs> Alan Moore was right. His work shouldn't be adapted. Agreed. Um, I mean, Watchmen and V for Vendetta are okay, so they're fine. Um, but it's like... it's one of the situations pass up the opportunity to adapt miracle man yeah because i I, definitely couldn't do it in the mcu like you think people lost their heads at like the amount of collateral damage in man of steel like the things that happen like it makes what happens and i feel like i'm tiptoeing around a massive thing that everyone should go and read (laughs) what happens at the end of more miracle man seems makes the ending of Watchmen seem kind of tame oof well, and you know, you know what's going to happen is he's going to be, he's going to be the, he's going to be the big bad of Loki season two. <laughs> They're going to find him. He's going to be a variant. 
they're I'm 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 gonna put it down. This is what the they're gonna that, do. Nah, I I don't think mostly because like <laughs> I find especially stuff like because I think you can draw a big comparison between Miracle Man and Watchmen. They of deal course. with a lot of the same themes. I actually think that the Doc's Manhattan character is like a more developed version of the kind of questions more was asking with Miracle Man. This mm-hmm. idea that like as a normal human becomes more and more powerful and more godlike, do they lose their humanity? Right. Like that is the major philosophical question behind Dr. Manhattan. That's also the question more asked with Miracle Man. And both that and like the use of contemporary politics and kind of like this idea that more felt about the world getting more and more authoritarian, dystopian. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of comparisons you can make between Miracle Man and Watchmen. Miracle Man's kind of like British Watchmen, I guess. Right. That and the fact that it, it's based on like obscure comic book characters from the 50s, Marvel Man, all the Charlton characters. Right. It's a very, very same approach. It, you can see how the same writer would do both things. For sure. Um, you know, how difficult Watchmen was to adapt. You know, it took them 20 years to make the movie that they did. <sighs> yeah. and it's still very divisive over whether or not it's a, a solid adaptation or not. Mm-hmm. It's funny as well because another character that really, and this wouldn't shock me if this was also a big inspiration, um, if Miracle Man was a good big inspiration of this, and that's the boys. Right, yeah, absolutely. Because, like, even down to, like, the visual aesthetics, Homelander and um, Miracle that is Man a very are good so point. similar. Yeah. Yeah, their costumes are very, they share a lot of DNA. Yeah, they are very, very similar visually and also like kind of thematically characters. Right. Um, I'd say Miracle Man's a less kind of objectively bad person than Homelander is. But (laughs) you can, yeah, yeah. I mean, few people are as objectively bad as Homelander. (laughs) Um, But you could, it wouldn't have shocked me if like Garth Ennis looked to Miracle Man as an inspiration, just in terms of like the, because I feel like, you know, Miracle Man and Watchmen pioneer that idea of like, the deconstruction of classic superheroes. Right. Um, which obviously like the boys is a, a shining, like stuff like the boys, the authority, even like kingdom comfort to an extent. Yeah. Absolutely. All kind of take inspiration from, from miracle man. But in terms of like whether or not it could be adapted, the thing that kind of puts me off isn't so much like that. How do you adapt miracle man? Especially. I mean, I don't think the MCU could adapt it because you'd have to do a hard art. Absolutely. You'd have to. You can't, you can't, you just cannot, in terms of like the themes, in terms of like the famous iconography, mm-hmm. you kind of can't yeah. do that. Um, but what also kind of puts me off about it is if they ever tried to do some sort of Miracle Man project, you know, whether it's television, film, it probably means we don't, we don't get the Century. And I, more than That's anything, want yeah. a Century miniseries like a, a Disney plus show about the original kind of Jenkins and Lee century room. That yeah. is like my dream MCU project. So yeah. And, and selfishly, and that, I don't want them to do more stuff with miracle man because it means we get less centric. Yeah. Though so, I mean, again, you know, having the opportunity in the comics to maybe, and maybe miracle man is the way that we get century back. Like there's, there's some kind of like, Miracle Man ends up being some kind of threat in the comics, and then they're like, "Oh, we got to find something that can match him." And turns out, Sentry is the only thing that can do that. Like, that would be cool as well. Um, but I do think that I would rather just going off of what we've learned today 
as well as like my brief like research into it i think i would still have i think i would still rather have the century over miracle man because even though miracle man is like this yeah, iconic I, you know this, this iconic comic that has influenced so much um so much of what we know today when it comes to how superheroes are deconstructed and whatnot i would rather that be his medium like make the comics miracle man's medium and yeah. have century be the one that you can adapt into other media yeah i think the thing for me is like miracle man is one of the most significant comic books of all time right just in terms of like it launching alan moore mm-hmm. as like arguably the writer of the late 1980s but then also in terms of the amount of stories and just like the general direction superhero comics went in for the next 15 years after it yeah you can kind of pinpoint it back to stuff like miracle man in 2000 ad absolutely and so it's it's so i don't think i i phrase this like if marvel wanted to bring on gaming and buckingham and finish off that story Mm i i i would love that yeah but in terms of bringing it over to the to the Marvel Comics universe, I don't quite see what role it fills that couldn't be filled by the Century. Yeah, that's that's just the thing. Marvel kind of already have that niche covered perfectly with their own character. Yeah, and um, honestly, we're of course just spitballing. We're seeing you know what we can think of, and ultimately, when it comes to Miracle Man in the Marvel Universe, time will tell. But thank you so much, Owen, for coming on the show. It is always a pleasure having you on. Always just a great time getting to chat with you about literally anything, but especially when it comes to comics. Um, if our listeners want to continue the uh, continue the adventure with Owen liking comics, uh, where can they find you? Well, this was definitely an example of me liking comics. I feel like I've been a bit <laughs> pessimistic on some of my more recent podcast appearances. Um, I, I've been invited to do another one soon, where I talk about the Clone Saga. Ooh, uh, yeah, the original one, not even not even the ultimate one. Oh, um, so I'm glad I got the opportunity to talk about a comic that's near and, and dear to my heart. I think maybe the reason I'm so against it being adapted and so scared of what Marvel will do is because you know it is like in terms of superhero comics, it's the British superhero. Yeah, and like the more run in particular is so based around British history and British culture in the 80s. Mm. that i don't know how big scary american marvel will handle that um but yeah thank you for having me on thank you for giving me the opportunity to rant and rave about uh, a comic that i've been obsessing over for you know god knows how many years but especially recently um as it's kind of come back into prominence it's given me the op- like the perfect opportunity to dive into it again um if you like listening to my my manic rambles head on over to youtube.com slash Owen likes comics. I talk about the, the fascinating real world history of your favorite comic book characters and stories. January is the amazing spider month. Amazing spider month. Um, digging deep into the history of the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies. Um, we put a video out last week when you're hearing this, where I talk about um, the history of the amazing Spider-Man one and two, how they were made kind of the behind the scenes stories and kind of, how things fell apart and we ended up with um the sony marvel deal and the mc spider-man and next week i think we should have another video out looking at the cancelled plans for the amazing spider-man cinematic universe so we'll be digging deep into um loads of wild and wonderful (laughs) 
theories and ideas that various people at Sony were pitching at the time for The Amazing Spider-Man 3, Sinister 6. Um, at one point, they were talking about doing a 2099 movie. They were yeah. talking about doing a movie. The Aunt with May spin-off. The Aunt May spin-off, which that's actually <laughs> not real. And it breaks my heart to tell you. Oh, that's no. That's actually not real. What? Um, but they, they were talking about a, a movie called The Amazing Spider-Man 1.5 which oh, is geez. a midquel. Uh, it would be set between the two movies, which is everything I've ever wanted. Excellent. Um, so yeah, head on over to youtube.com slash Owen Likes Comics and join the fun for that. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen Likes Comics. And yeah, hassle Eric to get me on and talk about <laughs> more obscure British comics. There are plenty. There's an entire Grant Morrison catalog to talk about. Absolutely. Anytime that you want to come on the podcast to talk about literally anything, there's an open invitation, of course. Um, does, this, does this mean I can sneak my way into the Geeksplain book, book Club? Because I was very disappointed when you said you didn't like Volume 1 of Ultimate Spider-Man. I, I just, you know, we... we we're, it, we're, It's we're wild how there. someone that talks about comics so much can have so little taste. <laughs> this, this, is what, this is what you bring on... You bring on a Brandon da- Brian Danielson esque figure onto the podcast. Kick my head. Oh, is this was my... this my uh, my kind of Milwaukee promo moment? Yeah, th- this is this is you telling me you're going to kick my head in because of my opinions on <laughs> Ultimate Spider Man. Um, <laughs> but yes, you know I am always down to collaborate. Uh, the Geeks Plane Book Club is an open place, so who knows if you want to have Owen come in and drop kick me. Uh, on the Geeksplain Book Club, let me know. Geeksplain Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, let's let's get a let's get a hashtag for Owen going. Owen kicks Eric's hashtag head get in. Owen going. Get hashtag get Owen going. Make that <laughs> happen. <like> that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, uh, this is of course part of the uh, part of the month of January where we are having some great talks about comic books. So tune in next week for uh, the next episode, which is going to be a January episode. Tune in for that. But Owen is giving me a rousing thumbs up. You can't see it, but uh, Owen's a big January supporter. <laughs> Uh, but yes, uh, thank you so much for listening. Stay safe. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of the Geek Explained podcast. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explained, I've been Eric Zana. He has been Owen from the Owen Likes Comics YouTube channel. And we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.